Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. How are you doing today? Great, good. Well, we're glad you're here. Um, this coming Thursday, uh, in fact, if you uh, have our newsletter, bulletin, information, booklet, whatever we call this, um, pull it out and inside it you will find a, a little trifold like this. Um, this is a prayer guide for an event that's taking place nationally. It is the National Day of Prayer uh, for, for our country. It was... Uh, uh, something that actually was enacted by Congress back in the 50s and every president since that time has signed the pro- proclamation making um, this coming Thursday, the second Thursday in May, uh, the National Day of Prayer when God's people would come together to pray for his movement in our nation. Now, I, when I think about that, I, I know sometimes that, that, that feels selfish. What about the rest of the world? Um, we can pray for them. I mean, I, I hope you're praying for the people in Sri Lanka, um, our brothers and sisters, uh, and, and those whom those in Sri Lanka represent, uh, our brothers and sisters who are being martyred for their faith all over the world, um, who, are, who are suffering persecution that I, I can't even get my head around. Um, that we need to be praying for them, but we also need to be praying for our nation and specifically the church in our nation. And I, I'm, I'm particularly excited about the theme that was chosen uh, to love one another. So here's what's going to happen. We're, we're doing something just a little bit different than we have done in the past for National Day of Prayer. Uh, we're just going to have a, a, a prayer gathering up here at 7 o'clock uh, Thursday evening in room 102, 105. And if you are able to you know come I know that's sometimes funny traffic time around Charleston but if you can make it back here at seven we're going to get together and pray we're not going to do a bible study on prayer we're we're just we're going to get together and pray I'm not saying we might not read God's word we probably will but we're, we're going to our time is going to be spent focused on prayer if you can't make it I would still encourage you to set aside some time that day and just prayerfully move through the prayer guide uh, one of the things that you'll see that is at the heart of this is that two things would happen. One is that Christians would begin loving one another as the scripture calls us to. And then, then we would love the world. We would even love those who consider us their enemies. We, we would just love like that to see the power of God released in our nation. And so I, I, I hope that maybe you, if you can, you would plan to, to make it uh, for that. Um, I want to encourage you to go ahead and grab your worksheet, uh, listening guide out of uh, your bulletin this morning. And, um, and you can open your Bibles if you want to. We're going to get there in just a minute. Uh, we're going to be back in Ephesians today. Um, we have been in a study of Ephesians, a series that we had entitled Connect, and we kind of took a detour like I told you we would, and we took a six-week detour and really began to focus on being connected to the full spectrum, the full beauty of Jesus' gospel. And we've had some great things happen. Uh, many of you have already shared with me 
some things that God has done in you, solidified in you, transformed in you uh, because of the study that we did together. And uh, one of the things that happened uh, with many of you have, have already shared is you've grown in your desire, your intensity, your, your hope to be able to share Jesus uh, in the days ahead more than you have formerly, uh, the gospel of Jesus, the good news, the beauty uh, of Jesus. And so we're, I'm excited about that. And so we're, we're, we're diving, we're picking back up where we left off and, uh, in, the, in our study of Ephesians. And I love that where we're landing today. Um, I want to go back and just give you a brief history. The book of Ephesians, in my opinion, is one of the greatest blueprints of what the New Testament church should look like. It's just a, a, a great mapping, uh, if you would, of, of the New Testament church. And we've we, we kind of been on this journey. And then last week, if you weren't here, um, I'm going to do my Mr. T imitation. I pity the fool. Um, the, uh, I, 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 I really kind of feel sad for you because last Sunday was just incredible. It was just a wonderful, beautiful celebration of our risen Lord. And um, I, I, uh, I know it, it always, you, you hate to have somebody do that to you, don't you? You just say, nah, you missed it. Um, it really was. It was just a great celebration. And I, I'm grateful for where, where we land in our study of Ephesians because I'm just, I'm picking up where we left off. I, I'm, I've told you this before, uh, and I'm going to c- keep confessing it probably, um, you know, as, as just the truth here. I didn't plan this. This was not some really smart thing I did. It, it just fell here. But what's happening is we, we, have, we have just celebrated the resurrection. Remember, Jesus came. He came in the flesh at Christmas, the incarnation. He came and he lived a sinless life and then he died. So it was the crucifixion. There's the incarnation, the crucifixion, then the resurrection. Those three kind of map out a significant part of God's redemptive plan to redeem all of creation. But Jesus wasn't done because he had one more thing that he was trying to do before he ascended to the Father. And that was to launch his church. To get those disciples geared up, ready to go forward in, in, in what would become God's movement on our planet after Jesus left. It was, it was the launching of the church, and we're going we're gonna to look at that today. Before we go dive back into that, I want to, I you know, think about a little bit about the context in a minute, but I'll tell you what, let's go ahead and read. If you have your Bibles, open them to Ephesians chapter 2. We're, we're picking up today where we left off. We're going to start in verse 11. Verse 11 says this, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant promises, having no hope and without God in the world. Now I want to stop there for a minute because that is a lot of a lot of jumbled up stuff. And I just want to pause for a minute. I want us to look at what we just read in uh, what I'll call a, a more modern translation. 
um, that I understand. In fact, when I do my daily reading in scripture, I read from the New Living Translation. When I do my study, I study in NASB and ESV. Um, but when I, when I do my daily reading, I read in, in New Living Translation. I want you to, to see that and, and read it here. It says, um, verses 11, 12 says this. And this is Paul telling the Ephesians, don't forget that you Gentiles, and who are Gentiles? Every non-Jewish person on the planet. Okay, so if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were once called uncircumcised heathens. That's you. Okay, that's, that's the way you would. By the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. Verse 12. In those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. You did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. And so what Paul is simply doing is he's reminding the Ephesians of their status until, until the coming of Jesus. He's basically saying you didn't have a snowball's chance man. There was, there was nothing that was going to save you. There was nothing remotely possible for you until Jesus. Now let's pick back up in verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Now, those verses, verses 11 through 22 of chapter 2 in the book of Ephesians, is a description of what the church should be. I think it's one of the greatest descriptions of, uh, that talk about God's heart, God's hope, God's dream uh, of what the church is. And Paul's writing here is not, I, I don't think we need to look at it as warm and fuzzy because qu quite frankly it is it's very challenging. In some ways, Paul is kind of throwing down a gauntlet and saying, this is what the church is supposed to be. This is what the church is supposed to look like. And like I said, coming out of the resurrection, Jesus spent his days trying to gear the disciples, to ready them for the coming of the Spirit so that the mission, the launch, the movement of the church on the planet, the body of Christ could, could get underway. 
And so Paul has four challenges in this passage of scripture that I want to help you see today. Um, and the, the, there are four really big challenges. And the first challenge is simply this. The first challenge that Paul gives us here is that there is a necessity to the church of our risen Lord. The, the, the church has a role to play. It is necessary in the lives of, of followers of Jesus. Now, you say, Joe, where did you get that? I didn't see the word necessity or necessary. Go back to verse 11, the very first word. It says, therefore. And when you read therefore in the scripture, what do you do? You see what it's there for, okay? The way that you do that is the context. You look what went on before. And when you go back and you look what went on before, you look at chapter 1 and you look at the verses in chapter 2 that were, that were just before this. And in, in chapter 1, Paul ends chapter 1 with this incredible prayer. And he prays this prayer, and I'm just going to kind of summarize it from verses 18 and 19. Paul says, I, I, I'm asking, he says, I'm asking God that your minds may be open to see. And he names some things, but this is the thing that he most wants the, the church at Ephesus to see. I want you to see how very great is his power, God's power, how very great is his power at work in us who believe. Paul says, I'm, I'm, I'm praying, I'm asking God, I want your eyes to be open to the great power, the, the surpassing greatness of the power of God in us. And then he gets to chapter 2. And in verses 1 through 10, he, he, we looked at this about six weeks ago. He, he talks about this, this power coming into us internally and kind of coming on us individually and talking about how where, where there is brokenness or, or deadness or emptiness, God puts in life. God brings vitality. God, God makes that which is broken whole. He, God is at work doing this. And then suddenly we get to verse 11. And Paul is saying kind of in addendum. This is, this is integrated. This isn't like a, it, it wasn't like Paul saying, well, that's, that's about that. Now for a totally something new, let's talk about the church. There's an integration here in what Paul is doing. He's joining these two things together. And he wants to see how deeply related they are. And that's why I say this gets so confrontational. Because in our country... In, in, in Western civilization, especially in America these days, we want verses 1 through 10 of Ephesians 2. We want that power. We want that healing. We want to see transformation come. But what we don't want is to have to be integrated deeply rubbing up against other people. That, that, that's, what, that's what's going on here. And Paul is pointing out those two things are not mutually exclusive. Now, I'm not going to go into a lot of statistics on this. Um, you, you can debate me over coffee one day. I might would even buy the coffee. But there are two big issues going on in our nation today. And they're, they're, they're not mutually exclusive. The, fir the first issue as it relates to spiritual life is there are, and, and I, I don't think you have to be a social scientist to see this. I think common sense will show you. There are, there's a movement in our nation towards spirituality. There's a lot of conversation out there about spiritual matters and spiritual things. There, there are a lot of people that are kind of seeking. If you need a proof text, let me show you one. How many of you know what Kanye West did Easter Sunday? He led a service. He led a worship service, as he called it. Now, I, I'm not critiquing it. I didn't see it. I don't know. Okay? How many people showed up? They estimated over 10,000. 
Now, again, I don't know Kanye's, you know, bent towards faith or those kinds of things, but I'm, I'm just going to assume he may not have done it purely biblically. Okay, his Easter service. And I read a few things that kind of gave me hints that, that, that he didn't. But there, is the, there are people seeking the spiritual, even if it's in ways that seem distorted when compared to the light of God's word. But people are seeking it. While simultaneously, the second thing that's going on is people are rejecting inst- what they would say institutionalized religion. People are pushing back from organized religion. People are pushing back from the church. So you've got this, this hunger uh, of some sort that's going on. And then you've got this pushback against what they would call organized religion. I, w- I read one article that was entitled God Decentralized. About this tension that's going on. This, this kind of movement. And, and to, the, you know, to the American mindset. The modern individual liberty kind of person. You read verses 1 through 10 and you say man. There's deadness in me and I want wholeness. Man, there, there's, there's emptiness and I want vitality. I want me some of that verses 1 through 10 stuff. How do I get me some of that? You know, we, 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 we love that. And then Paul brings us to verse 11. And what Paul is trying to help us understand is the power that does that transforming in verses 1 through 10 only happens in the church. That's where the power of God gets released. And people at that point start saying, no thanks. And and now some of you out there may have just heard me say something I didn't say. I did not say that you cannot be saved without being a part of the church. Did anybody hear me say that? I did not say that. What we're talking about right now is not salvation. We're talking about the power of transformation. The power to change once once you know Jesus as Savior. The the power to change out of that. That's that's the context of what Paul's talking about. He's told you about the power in verses 1 through 10. Now he's telling you what delivers that power. How you access that power. And what I want you to see is the the, the connection here to what what he's talking about. To ask the question just slightly differently is, can the surpassing power of God come into your life and flow into you without a willingness for you being deeply grafted into a community of faith? Can the power of God get released in your life without that kind of connection? And God's word says, throughout, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Old Testament, New Testament, there was a covenant community in which the power of God was getting released on planet earth. And it always flowed through a covenant community. And that that is unchanged in, in the teaching that Paul is doing here. See, this passage is really communicating something that goes on from cover to cover. And it's this, if you want the power of God, if, if you want that transformation in your life individually... You know, you, you can't do it apart from connection to community. So a recent survey done. I told you I wasn't going to give you a lot of statistics. This isn't a lot. This is one. But a recent survey done in, in American religious circles, and this is what the statement was. It said, do you believe you can be a very good Christian or a very good Jew without attending church or synagogue? How many Americans, percentage-wise, do you think said sure? 87%. Said, absolutely, you can be real good at being devoted at following Jesus and never having to do it with another person. 
you, you can be good at that. And the Bible says, you're wrong. That if you want the power of God released in your life to transform you, and then transform your home and communities and the world. See, th this is what God says. If you're coming to me looking for that, you are knocking on the wrong door. There are a lot of philosophies, there are a lot of worldviews out there that you can pursue that'll tell you they can do that. But you will not have access to the life-transforming power that I want to bring you outside of, of community. That's not who I am. So, hopefully somebody will here and say, okay, I get it. The church is necessary. There's a necessity to it in order to access transforming power. But the next challenge that Paul gives us is not just about is it necessary. The, the next challenge that Paul kind of wants to address, it, because here's, here's how we think. We, we, we like to think, what's the minimal commitment I can make to get the bang for my buck? And so the question that once we get to the place where we say, okay, the church is necessary, how involved must I be? How, how, how much do I really have to be involved in order to, to have access to that power. And so what Paul wants us to see here for his second challenge is the intensity. The intensity that's required out of accessing the power of God through the risen Lord's church. He wants us to see how intense this is. And the way that Paul communicates the intensity of connection that, that needs to take place is he gives you three illustrations in the passage that we read. The last four verses, verses 19 through 22, I want you to look at these three illustrations. The first illustration in verse 19 says this, you are fellow citizens with the saints. Now that, that is very, that, that's a very intense statement. Because what that means is, is you're no longer, guy you can't see yourself from Ohio anymore. That's not, you're not a citizen of Ohio. And, and, and you can see guys saying, I am set free. No, the, um, the, you're, not a, you're not a citizen of Pennsylvania. You're not, you're not a citizen of South Carolina. You know, you're, 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 not, you're not Asian or African or American. It's what this is saying. He says, you, you're a citizen with the saints. You're, you are a new ethnic group. You are a new people all together. This is intense, folks. He's saying if you want access to the power of God released and flowing through you, you have got to see, we've got to see ourselves as a new people. A, a, a whole new different kind of, of community. You're not primarily a citizen of the United States. You're primarily a citizen of heaven. You've been translated out of all of those other dividing groups. All of those other groups that would cause us to separate. You are a, a, a new ethnos. You're a new ethnicity. You're, you're part of the kingdom of God. That's intense connection. But he goes, he goes a step further. And, and, and Paul says in verse 19, he says, not only are you citizens... Of, with the saints, but you are also members of the household of God. And notice he didn't say house of God. He used what word? Household. Which means family. You, you're, you're not just, you don't have the same citizenship now. You're in the same family, the same household. This is an even deeper, uh, intensely deeper kind of relationship. He's saying, God's not just your king. God is your father. And you are brothers and sisters. 
That's who you are. It's, it's relational. You're, you're sons and daughters of the king. You're brothers and sisters. That's intensely relational. There, there's an intense relational connection. Then he goes even more intense. L- look at this in, in verses 20 and, and, and 21. He says, you're a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place. You're, you're being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, please grab hold of this. The Bible says individually, you are a temple of what? The Holy Spirit. What Paul is saying here is corporately, you become, we become the dwelling place of the Shekinah glory of God. God shows his glory differently in you individually than what he does corporately. There is a power release of God when we come together in this and form together a temple, a dwelling place, a people where God can dwell. And this is what God, what Paul is trying to help us understand. This is incredibly intense. And what he's saying is you're a building block. Each and every one of you is a building block to build this, this temple where the Shekinah, where, where God the Father, the triune God will, will dwell. Now his spirit's in you individually. But if you want to see the power of God coming onto the earth in visible ways, it's only going to take place when you see yourself as a building block for something bigger than your own spirituality. See, what we just want to think about, hey, I just, you know, I, I want to do the me and Jesus got a good thing going on. And God said, you're not going to see power that way. You, you can be good with Jesus. You and Jesus can get, you know, that. But if you want to see something transformative change, if you want to see the glory of God, if you want to see the kingdom come, it's only going to happen when you see yourself as a building block. Now, think about bricks on a house. Okay, can you think, visualize it? If you go into a brick setting on a wall and you start pulling a brick out, what eventually is going to happen? The wall is going to come down. One of the things that, that, that happens when these bricks are put together, they hold each other up, they support one another, but they're also pressed together. There's, there's, there, there aren't gaps in between them. Everything is pressed down together. They're, they're deeply connected and interlocked so that if something happens to one of them, it affects the whole wall. And that's what Paul is trying to point out here. He's pointing out that God's power wants to dwell in a place that that's, is that connected. God's power wants to show up that way in a place that is that, that deeply connected. He start, so he starts out saying, you're, you're, you're like this citizenship. You're like a different kind of nation. And then he goes a little more intense and says, you're, you're, you're like this family. There's this kind of social contract between you. You're, you're connected by something deeper than, than even blood. And then he talks about being cemented together. And he's giving us this illustration to point out when we ask the question, how involved do I have to be? That's Paul's answer. You have to be so deeply interconnected that it's more than just showing up on Sunday. More than just dropping money in a plate. It's, it's, it's deeper than that. One of the things that he's trying to point out is accountability. You have to be so connected and pressed together that where, where when you move or you're shifted, there's accountability. 
there's, there's something that you're, you're not only you are, are people holding you accountable for your position, your role, but you're holding others up. You're, you're holding them up as well. You know, some of you in here are single. Okay, you're, you're, you're single. And so you pretty much kind of decide your comings and goings and you don't really necessarily check in with anybody about that. When you get married, that changes. Not because your spouse wants to put a, you know, a chip on you and know everywhere you're at every second of the day. Maybe your spouse does, I don't know. Um, but because, because of the relationship. There are expectations when, when there are relationships. And so suddenly when you're part of a household, you, you, you get that. And you want to support that other person so you, you, you engage and let them know. And the, this block thing is the same way. See, we, we've got to help each other. Hebrews 3.13 points out why this is so important that we're connected at this level. Hebrews 3.13 says, exhort one another every day that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now, now, there are two ways to kind of be accountable as it relates to sin. One way is this. I stand up in a public setting somewhere and I tell you I struggle with this sin. This is a big sin issue for me. Some of you have heard me talk about my, my, my struggle with anger and how God walked me through that over years. And some of you knew about that, you know, from me telling, saying that out loud. But there are others of you that have been intertwined deeply in my life, so deeply that you hold me accountable at a different level because you see me. Not, not, the, not this me, you see me being pressed down on and, and push down on and you see what comes out and you see the kind of sin that is deceitful the kind of sin that I can't see in my own life that I'm blinded to and so the Bible says Paul is illustrating when you ask how deeply do I need to be connected how involved must I be you've got to be so involved if you, want to see, now if you don't want to see the power of God released don't worry about it but if you want to see the power of God transform your life transform your home transform your family your, your city then you, have, you personally have got to be so deeply connected that you're being pressed down upon by a few people, a few blocks, bricks around you that they can see what you can't see about your own life. They can see those besetting sins that are so easily to deceive my own soul, my own heart. That's what Paul's pointing out here. If you want to see the power, power of God released... And then Paul helps us understand something else. There's another challenge, an even deeper challenge. It's, it's deeper than, than the necessity. It's deeper than the, the intensity. And it's this. It's going to be the vitality of connection. So here's, here's the next challenge that Paul is throwing down. Paul challenges us to see what we're connected to. The connectivity of, of the Lord's risen church. There is a connection. There's something that we're connected to. And Paul points it out in verse 18. And I want you to look at it. It says, for through him. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus, him. For through him, we both have access in what? One spirit to the Father. Who showed up in verse 18? The Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right there in that ver one verse. When, when, you, when you come and encounter the Christian God, the God of the Bible, when you, when you become a Christian... 
the Spirit of God unites you with the Father and Son. The Spirit of God comes in and seals you and unites you. You, you enter, you're invited into the, the Trinitarian relationship. You, you become, uh, when you become a Christian, you become linked to the triune God. Now, some of you, some of you are saying, okay, if you're going to talk about the Trinity, I didn't pack a lunch. We're going to be here all day. Um, because I don't understand the Trinity. Well, guess what? I don't understand the Trinity. I, I don't get all of it. I, my mind's too small. But there, there's a reason that I love, I, I mean, I love that I worship a triune God. And, and if, you may have been sleeping up until now. And if you just woke up, I'm going to ask you to stay awake for about four minutes to let me unpack something. Because if you don't, it's going to go, it's going to go sideways for you. Okay? So give me four minutes to kind of try to unpack something about this. And the reason I want to do this is because I, 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 you may not understand the Trinity any better, but I hope you love him more. That, that you serve a God who's triune. Here's, here's what I want you to grab hold of. In our world, uh, on one hand, there are, um, there are people who worship um, many gods with many personalities, many persons, okay? Those are polytheistic religions, okay? And so there's kind of this many God, many personalities going on. And each of those personality gods, they, they have their own desires. And guess what happens with those gods sometimes? There's no unity. They even fight. They all get along. So they fight each other sometimes. There's no unity whatsoever. So that's kind of, kind of polytheism. Then there is, there, there, there's a non-Christian monotheism in which there is this, this, this one God who expresses himself in one person, personality, whatever word works for you there. And so he, he does that. And so there's, there's great unity, but there's no community. Okay? And, and so here's what this means is that, that, that one God, that, that non-Christian monotheist kind of God does this. He, um, he existed by himself until he decided to create something that he could then express himself to and maybe, maybe love, who knows. But here's, here's, here's the deal on this. He has not intrinsically been in relationship. He has not, he has not loved. Love is not part of who he is by nature because there was some length of time in existence before he created when he didn't have anything to love. Does that make sense? When you come to the Christian God who expresses himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who has always existed before he created. He's always existed in a mutual uh, environment of love. He's one God, three person, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Perfect in unity in every way. In every way. He has always expressed love. When you read the scriptures and you hear the Father talking about the Son... When you hear the Father speaking through the Spirit or to the Spirit, it is always with this strong affection. When you hear the Son talking about the Spirit or talking about us, they are constantly lifting one another up. And so when the Bible says God is love, it's because he always has. It wasn't like one day I'm going to create something so I can love it, so I can know what love is. He's always been this God of love. That's what you've been connected to. 
It is a vital connection to understand that God himself exists in a community of mutual admiration, of mutual expression of love. It is so important that we come to understand that when we come to Christ that we are invited into that and there is a power there that is unbelievable and incredible. Remember verse 18 says, for through him, through Jesus, we, we both, speaking of the Jews and non-Jews, we, we all have access in one spirit to the Father. They've all been working together. This, the, the, all of this coming together. The, the Christian Trinitarian God is this, this beauty, uh, beautiful blend of diversity and unity come together in perfection. It's just, it's, it's incredible. And that's who God is from, from all eternity. And so for a Christian, for somebody to come to Jesus and come to God and say, I want the power. I want to feel that love, but I don't want to do it with those other people. It's contrary to who God is. It's completely contrary to, to, to how he expresses himself. It's contrary to how his power, how he operates. It's contrary to everything. And so Paul's writing about the church. He's talking about how, how necessary it is and how intense the relationship needs to be. And the reason that it needs to be so intense is because that's who God is. That, that's just who he is. You can't fully know him experiencing the surpassing greatness of his power apart from plugging in deeply to the body of Christ. I did this to the people in the first service. I went off-roading a little bit from my notes. And I had several of them come and say, you got to mess with them second service people too. So here goes. As I normally do leading up to Easter, um, and a lot of you do this too, and it's a good habit. You, you read the, the Gospels and read the stories kind of together of really that last passion week in Jesus' life. And if you're, if you're going to read it all, you're going to get to uh, the passage in, in the Gospel of John where on, on the night of the Passover, what we know is John 14, 15, 16, and 17 take place. There's this incredible teaching that Jesus does in 14, 15, and 16. And then we get to John 17... And he prays. He prays out of kind of what he just taught. And they don't have notes for this. So if you're going to look at it, you're going to have to open your Bibles. Get your Bibles out. If, if you don't, didn't bring a Bible, there's some under the seats in front of you. I'll even tell you what page it's on. You may want to see this. We're going to John 17. Okay, John 17. If you use one of our house Bibles, it's page 903. In John 17, we're going to start reading in, in, verse, um, in verse 18. As I was reading this, and I just, I need to go ahead and confess this. As I was reading this, I got to some phrases and I argued with it, with God's word. 
I said, I don't see this. I, I just don't see this. I don't know how. And you're saying, aren't you a pastor? I'm saying, yeah. But I just, I, I struggled when I read this. Read, read it with me. Verse 18. Jesus said, he's praying to God. Father, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's, that's you guys, me. We've believed through their word. That they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. In them, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Now, there are two phrases that just, just, I just struggled with. And, and you, you may have seen them. Jesus says that they would love one another just as, just as we love one another. And in and, and some, some places he, he says even as. Just as and even as. And, and I, I know it's a lack of faith. I, I get that. But I, I just looked at those verses when I was sitting there that morning and I was just saying, Jesus, where is that? Where, where is that? Where, where, where are we, your church, loving each other, connected to one another just as, as you and the Father are connected? Where? Where, where, are we, where are we living that out? Where, where is that happening? And he, he goes on and he says, he, he makes this statement. And he says, verse 23, I and them and you and me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me. Jesus Jesus didn't pray for some evangelism strategy to be successful. Jesus didn't pray, God, give them some. You know, we, we, come, up with, we come up with all kinds of strategies that have nothing to do with what Jesus prayed. The one thing Jesus prayed for would happen so that the world would know that he was sent by the Father. We think things like, you know what we got to do? We, we got to get us some celebrity saved. If we could get this celebrity saved or that celebrity, you know, if, if Beyonce would just get radically sold out for Jesus, man, poof. We need to get some, some star athletes saved and get them on the stage. D did Jesus pray that? I'm going to tell my wife. I may be about to get in trouble. When my wife was a little girl, one of her prayers was, was that she could fly so that, <laughs> so that people would ask her, how can you fly? And she could tell them about Jesus. Isn't that, isn't that a sweet prayer? 
I'm dead, right? Yeah, I'm dead. But I mean, I, I remember thinking one time, man, if, if Franklin Graham could just levitate right now, people would believe that there'd be a miracle. Right now, just, just lift him up, Jesus. Jesus didn't pray for that. He, he didn't pray for that. Jesus prayed. Will, will you, God, will you show my people how to love one another? We show how to be so connected to one another that my power can actually get released through them. T turn to Philippians. Just start heading towards Philippians. I'll tell you where to go when we get there. Go to Philippians chapter 1. Um, page 980. If you're using the house Bible. Paul, Paul's writing to the church at Philippi about this. He says to the church, the, the, the Christians, the believers in, in Philippi, he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see or I am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm. Listen to how he describes what the church is like. That you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, one, one purpose. And you're, you're striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This will be a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. You know what Paul is saying right there? Paul is saying, get, get this. Paul is saying, if, if, we will, if we will be so closely united, so interlocked together, so focused on one purpose together, walking in the spirit together, if we would be so united as the people of God, here's what's going to happen. The world will know judgment is coming. The world, does the world think judgment's coming one day? No. Half the church doesn't believe in the judgment. Do you know that? Half, half, the, the, much of the church doesn't believe that there's going to be a judgment. And I don't get that. If they got one of these. I mean, you, you just go to kind of the second story. And you, you see that, you know, God judged those first few people. The, two, the first two, he judged them. Kicked them out of the garden. You go a few chapters, 12 chapters or so in. He wipes out everything you just read on and on there's judgment and I know some people would say yeah that's that God of the Old Testament Jesus came and he straightened God out you know and he, Jesus ain't like that man when you get to see Jesus at the end of the book he's got a sword he's judging the planet he didn't get more mellow. And, and here's what Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. Paul said, guess what? You know how they're going to figure out that judgment is coming upon them? Is when the church, when, when the church gets so sold out to love one another that the, the world looks at the church and says, oh my word. 
I've never seen a power like that unleashed on this planet. There is something up with Jesus. There's something real about Jesus. I have no earthly idea where I'm at. Again. Okay, there's one blank left. We're going to fill the one blank in. And it's this, the causality. The causality. Paul challenges us to see the causality of how, how, how can this happen? How can, how can a church become a people so in love with one another when sometimes we don't like each other? When sometimes we can't stand to be in the room with somebody else in this building right now. How can we become those people? Look what Paul says in verses, verses 14 and 16 of Ephesians chapter 2. He says, for he himself is our peace, speaking of Jesus, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh. Has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And might reconcile us, this is verse 16, both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Here's what he's saying, friends. The only way that we're going to come to a place where we... See, here's what's going to happen. Some of you are going to get to this place where you're saying, Joe, you have no idea how I've been hurt by somebody. You just don't know. You don't know how I've been hurt by somebody of another race. So this new ethnic means nothing to me. You don't know how I've been hurt by somebody of another gender. You don't know. Here's what, here's what Paul is saying here. God dealt with the hostility because in, in Jesus' flesh, on the cross, he made him hostility. He became our, he made him hostility. I didn't say he made Jesus hostile. Jesus was not hostile on the cross. Jesus was forgiving on the cross. But all of the hostility that is taking place, all of the enmity and strife and hate and suffering that we have poured out on each other since the beginning of time, God put in him. He became sin. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us, he became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He put it on Jesus. And the Bible says that subjectively, in that act, in that act, he made us right with God. He tore the hostility between us and God. Jesus built it. But he also objectively trans gave released power in his resurrection so that you and I can be objectively united together in love overcoming all hostility in Christ. And the way that that happens, the only way that happens is when we see what he did on the cross for me. And you see what he did on the cross for you because when you see that, that all of the hostility of God should have been poured out on you and instead poured out on him. Once you see that, Jesus took all of that hostility, it will humble you. It will break you. It's the only way it happens. It's the only way the power is going to get... When you see Jesus, all that hostility that you and I deserve, because it's only in a humble heart can you look at somebody next to you and say, I love you. I don't get you sometimes. We rub each other the wrong way sometimes. 
but I love you. And I am choosing this day to be united to you because I want to see the power of God released. And I'm trusting Jesus to do that. That's the only cause that can make the church the kind of church where the power of God can really flow. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we come right now in this moment. God, I don't believe there's a person in this place that doesn't want to see your power released in such a way that millions would come to saving knowledge of Jesus. Lord, I don't believe there's a person in this room that doesn't want to see your power released in their own lives in such a way that they, the brokenness that lives in them is overcome. The pain is, those chains from it are broken. Those places where division still exists is driven out and the dividing hostility is killed. I don't know anybody who who doesn't look at a vision for life like that and doesn't long for it. So in this moment that we can take to just maybe make some renewed commitments to the Lord ourselves, what it would look like for me, what it would look like for us to become those people, that church, not, no longer asking how involved do I have to get, but asking, oh dear God, I want to be knit together that way with my brothers and sisters. Uh, for, for me, this one block, I want to build the temple together with my brothers and sisters so that the Shekinah glory of God would come in such a way that power would be released in all of our lives and into our city. Oh God, I want to see that. Maybe you just need to tell the Lord that today so he can show you what it looks like for you. Maybe you're here today and for the very first time just the thought that Jesus could transform your life. That he could unleash something so transformative that it could tear down every dividing wall in your heart. You could be healed. The Bible says anybody who calls on the name of Jesus with that desire to become his child that way, to connect to his people that way, to repent of your sins in such a way that you'll let other people know, I'm a sinner, but I can be saved by grace. If you're there today, the Bible says all you can do is call out to that Jesus and he'll set you free of the penalty of sin and begin walking you on that journey to Release the power that overcomes the pain of sin. And Father, we know that all of that vision will only come true if we just come bringing you everything. Everything we are. 
all of our brokenness. Because God, when we, when we read those, the prayer of Jesus, we don't understand it. We don't know how. But God, by faith, we choose again to trust it. That it is true. That it is the only way. So we invite you, God, come. Come into us that way. Help us be those people. We come now in worship to bring everything. All that we are, all that we have, we just bring it to you now, Jesus. As we surrender ourselves to you in worship. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 1130 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.